We stand in the presence of God's Word. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said, Teacher, I've kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. This is the word of the Lord. One of the ways that scholars try to determine which of the four Gospels came first, second, third, fourth, is by looking at the way they tell the same story. You know that three of the four are called synoptic because they look more alike than the fourth one. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, synoptics. Matthew and Luke tell this same story. But one of the things scholars know is that For about 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, no gospel had been written. These four, none of them had been written. They had stories that had been told. And the very nature of storytelling is that the second to tell the story adds more detail and the third one adds more detail. So that over time, this story came to be known as the story of the rich young ruler. Mark being first said simply, a man. A man came running up to Jesus, knelt down before him and said, Good rabbi. He's off to a good start. He really thinks of himself as being a good person. He is an observant Jew. He has kept Torah. Jesus also believes he's a good person. He looks at him and loves him. He believes Jesus is a good person. He kneels down before him and says, Good rabbi. And Jesus immediately shifts the direction to God. Dr. Edward Schweitzer in his commentary says, We are able to see God in Jesus because Jesus is claiming nothing for himself in Mark's telling of the story. Let's take a look. Number one. Do you see anything strange about the way this man asked the question? What must I do to inherit? Inherit is a passive. Passive. One inherits because somebody else is good, because somebody else is generous, because one was born well, one had a mother, a father, somebody who left you something. Yet this young man is all about what must I do? What must I do? What must I do? I have a feeling that if 
he had said, okay, I'll sell everything, give it to the poor. Jesus would have said, well, I have one more thing. I have one more thing, one more thing. Until the young man would finally say, I can't do any more. Oh, good, then you're ready to begin. You begin by inheriting. You begin by knowing the goodness of God. Did you pay attention to Pope Benedict XVI's visit to England last month? I was interested in that. It's been years since a pope went to England, met with the Queen, met with the Archbishop of Canterbury. Pope Benedict XVI decided to send as gesture of his goodwill for England, just on loan, four magnificent tapestries from the Sistine Chapel. Gail and I have seen those tapestries. They are truly amazing. They are 500 years old. When the family in Florence, called in Italy Medici's, Lorenzo, the patriarch, got one of his sons elected pope. He wanted that son's time as pope to be remembered for centuries to come. And he commissioned seven magnificent tapestries to be done. And the artist he chose? Raphael. Raphael painted seven magnificent paintings which were then taken to those who could do all this beautiful needlework. It took them so long, Raphael never saw the tapestries beside his drawings. In fact, no one else has for 500 years. Because the English got those paintings and they locked them up. And then finally they put them in the Victoria and Albert Museum and they've had them all these years. The Vatican... Sistine Chapel have had the tapestries, the paintings in London. We've seen them too, but never side by side. Side by side. The reviewer in the Wall Street Journal said, wow, when you see them hanging side by side for this six-week period, you can see how the tapestries have faded in 500 years, but not the paintings. The paintings still have vivid Beautiful, detailed in color. And this particular reviewer said of all the ones that were there, four, the, the Pope let come along, of the four, his favorite was the miracle of the fishes. Luke tells that story in chapter 5 of his Gospel that Jesus was gaining in popularity up around the Sea of Galilee. He was at Capernaum when he saw fishermen coming in from having fished all night. And he waited till one of the boats was up nice and close. And he stepped off onto the bow of the boat so that the people could see and hear him better. But after he had taught them, he turned to the fishermen, Simon, Andrew, James, John, and said, let's go out a little deeper. I want you to throw down the nets. And they said, You've got to be kidding. We have fished all night and caught nothing. And Jesus said, go deeper and toss out the nets. And when they did, they gathered more fish than they could haul to the surface. Simon, Andrew, James, John... 
This is not about catching fish. This is about becoming fishers of people. I'm going to count on you to bring the best you've got, but ultimately, as Dr. Kroll prayed, maybe 10% what we do, 90% what God does. What must I do to inherit? Inherit. Number two. I've kept all these since my youth, he said. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, Sell what you own, give the money to the poor, come and follow me. Do people really do that? Yeah, they really do that. Three times Gail and I have been to Assisi. The last time I said, Gail, I want to climb up in the hills to those caves where Francis and those earliest followers of his lived for months at a time in isolation, seeking to know the will of God for them. You remember when Francis lived? Born in 1181, more than 800 years ago. One of seven children, his father was a wealthy cloth merchant. When Francis became a young man, it was expected of him that he would go into the army, and he did that. And when his time of service was over and he got to come home, he was changed. The war had changed him. He started spending more time at the church, more time in prayer, more time participating in the Mass. And when he was 28 years old, he walked into the middle of town one day and took off his beautiful outer robes and let them fall to the ground. And went up in the hills. I walked five miles. Should have been noting that I was going up and everybody else was coming down. They knew the weather report. I didn't know the weather report. And I got almost to the caves and... Right up over that little mountain, dark cloud of lightning and thunder, and everybody was running down the hill. I went into the caves by myself. I could hear the storm outside. I went through those caves. I had to bend over to go through. And here was a tiny little hollowed out place for one monk and a Bible. And you went a little farther. Here was a hollowed out place for one monk and a Bible or a prayer book. And a little farther room for one monk and a prayer book or a Bible. Francis only lived 45 years. But it was said that there was such a peace in him that even the birds would fly down to him. That even wild animals would just walk up to him they could sense that this man meant them no harm, only goodwill. Only goodwill. Mother Teresa, we sometimes think she must have been on the streets of Calcutta all of her life. Not so. Only when she turned 40. The first 40 years of her life, she had a pretty nice life. In fact, She was in a convent teaching the children of wealthy British folk who lived in India. She had a good bed to sleep in, three good meals a day, teaching bright kids. 
But on her days off, when she walked into the streets of Calcutta, she heard God speak into her deepest heart. Teresa, I need you out here. And at 40, she went onto the streets of Calcutta and lived there 47 more years. She died at 87. 47 years she was out there bathing one fevered brow after another, giving somebody a spoonful of soup, holding their fevered hand. Do people do that? They do that. There's some crazy people who actually do that. Okay, the next question is, anybody still doing that? Anybody still doing that? Oh, yeah. There are people who heard Jesus say, it's really difficult for rich people to inherit the kingdom. Because the attitude when one has money is, I can do it myself. Thank you very much. I can do it myself. What else do I have to do to get into the kingdom? What do I have to do? Well, you have to receive a gift. You have to be willing to receive a gift. Rich people don't do that very well. In fact, I tell you, a camel with one or two humps can get through the eye of a needle. Easier than a rich person can get in the kingdom of God. Do you notice that when the young man heard this, it says he was shocked. And when the disciples heard it, they were shocked. When they heard it, they were astounded. Three different ways of saying the same thing. You know why? Because in that century when Jesus lived, it was still the idea that if you live a long time and you end up with a lot of money and kids and grandkids all around you, you must have been a good person. If you die young and poor, childless, you must have been a bad person. So here's a young man with money. Everything going his way. And Jesus said, you know this blessing of God? Well, I want you to sell and give to the poor. Sell and give to the poor. Have you heard Tim Hammock's story? Tim Hammock grew up in a trailer park in Napa Valley, California. Wrong side of the tracks. He had a mother and father and he had a brother. Mom and dad went to work, but they were not educated. They had minimum wage jobs. So he said, we lived in a trailer park on the wrong side of the tracks. I was always fascinated, he said, with people that had money, had fancy cars, ate in fancy places. So when I got out of school, I took a job as an apprentice in a very nice restaurant. And I did well. So I got promoted to a nicer restaurant, and then I got promoted to a nicer restaurant, chef, at a restaurant called Bouchon. Bouchon's restaurant. When I got there at night, people would be lined up to get in. I looked at the parking lot. BMWs, Mercedes-Benz, Infinities, Lexus. Acuras, Cadillacs, I was cooking for them. But I had a friend named Dave who went through school with me. And when we had graduated, Dave went to work for a homeless shelter. And every time I'd see Dave, he'd say, I've got an idea. 
We feed a thousand people a day. What you could do if you were to run our kitchen. We've got people who are trying to do better. We've got people who want to do better. And if you could teach them what you know they could do better. Tim said, I'd say, uh, it's not for me. But you know what? Dave and I grew up going to church. And every time I'd see him and he'd tell me that, I couldn't sleep well at night. Because God was speaking to my heart. And one day I said, let me have a look at that place. And he drove me over there. It looked like a big old warehouse. But when I got into the kitchen, though they didn't have nearly as much fancy equipment as Bouchon did, it was sparklingly clean, sparkling clean. All these people lined up to eat. At Bouchon, I would go to the market every day and I'd pick out the freshest and best ingredients. All the ingredients that came to this place were donated. They were past the expiration date. But there was food. We had only a $10,000 budget for the food, and we fed 1,000 people a day. I quit my job. I moved over to the shelter. started working there. The first year, I tried to help 500 people with addictive problems learn how to be a chef. Only 70 finished. But that was 70 who could get a job and keep getting well. Seventy the first year. When I drive up every day to go to work, start sorting through what's been given to us, we've got to cook what's been given to us, I think about the car, cars in the parking lot. There aren't many. The ones that are there, old, some rusted out, barely will start. But I wake up every morning excited about what I do. And when I get home, I sleep really well. People still do that? Yeah, people still do that. Number four. Wow, the disciples said, if rich people can't get into the kingdom, then nobody can get into the kingdom. Oh yeah, Jesus said, people do get into the kingdom. Because though it's impossible with humans, everything is possible with God. God can do it. God can help you inherit eternal life. God can help you inherit life now, life abundant, life everlasting. That joy, that deep peace of knowing you've received the greatest gift ever offered. Did you read Karen Barber's story? She said a friend of hers had gone on one of those retreats where those who go do not say a word for five days. And she wanted me to go. She thought I would like it. I didn't think I would like it, but she kept saying, you will like it. And I finally agreed to try. I realized that since I was two, I'd never gone five days without saying a word. And when I got there, it was a small group. But they really did keep the rule. We went to chapel. The priest spoke. We ate our meals. 
large blocks of time, no one was saying anything, and we, the pilgrims, were to say nothing. I went five days without saying a word. And that last night, she said, as I was brushing my teeth and getting ready to go to bed, I thought, after five days, what should be the first thing I say tomorrow morning? I thought about the woman who had cooked for us. Not a big group. One woman had cooked all of our meals and washed all of our dishes. And we had not been able to say a word to her. Tomorrow morning, when we're allowed to talk, I'm going to say to her, thank you. So I went to bed, and the next morning I woke up, got dressed, and as I started out my door, thinking I was on the way to breakfast, we were ushered toward the chapel. In the chapel, we were taken once more through that service. All ye who labor and are heavy laden, come. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Ye that do truly and earnestly repent of your sins are in love and charity with your neighbor. Intend to lead a new life, following the commandments of God and walking from henceforth in His holy ways. Draw near with comfort. Take this sacrament to your comfort. And I knew... I have chosen the right words. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.